0: As I said, we're in James chapter 1. This is the third message in our our series so far. There'll probably be about six just in chapter 1. But something we have to understand about chapter 1 is that it all flows together. It's one conversation, really. He doesn't really stop and focus on another topic. It's actually explaining thoroughly and completely the topic that he began, And that's what we're going to find. And so I do need to do a quick recap, a little bit of review. I'm just going to do it real simply. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, here's what we've already read, what we've looked at and talked about. The first thing is the context of the book of James. We talked about who wrote it, who did he write it to, and the general theme, which I'm calling authentic or practical faith. The second thing we talked about were that trials and temptations are inevitable, but we can and should, because of Jesus have joy because we know that God is using them for good if we give them to Him. It's something that James highlights more than once. And the third thing is we may experience doubt in our difficulties, but God will always give us wisdom when we ask Him. That's what God does. If you ask for wisdom, God will give it. And then what James does as we look at verse nine is he starts to talk about some specific things, and I'm calling them two different tests which we would need wisdom in. And you may find yourself in one place or the other or somewhere in between, but I think what we're gonna uncover today is that most of this will just apply to us, if not now in the future or it already has. But here's what it says in James chapter 1, starting in verse nine. He says, "'But the brother of humble circumstances "'is to glory in his high position, "'and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, "'because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, that word also means tested, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today. James wrote these words somewhere around 50 to 55 AD. Now that's important because their social and economic class couldn't have been more divided. Your economic standing in that specific generation was you are rich or you are poor. Now in our world, we talk a lot about the middle class. That didn't really exist during that time. So if you're rich, you hang out with the rich. If you're poor, You hang out with the poor and there's not a lot of integration and the reversal of someone that was poor becoming rich. It happened, but it was rare. Someone who was rich became poor. That happened quite a bit more because of the Roman Empire. But as Christianity grew in the first century, something interesting started to transpire. And that was as rich and poor came to Jesus, there was now an intersection for these two classes to integrate. And I think actually the church... Could be even in our culture. I don't know how much time I have to share about this, but in our culture, it's probably one of the last standing places where people from different classes of all kinds are actually going to interact. We could be poor, we could be rich, we could be of a different ethnicity, have a different culture, language, background, political perspective. This might be, the church might actually be the last place where we don't only sit in our own echo chambers. And may God help us to continue to be that. But here's what we know. The ground at the cross is level for all people. Brings us together. Jesus brings us together. It doesn't matter what your race or your class or your status or your age. The gospel calls every person to repent of their sin and turn to Christ for salvation. We know this and James talks about it directly and he said that our faith in verse 3, would be tested. This is what he talks about the tests of our faith, that we need to go through them and not seek to get out of them. And now I believe what he's going to talk about, as we've read through verse 9 to 11, he's talking about some of the tests that we're going to have. And the first one I want to bring up to you is called the test of poverty. In verse 9, he says, The brother of humble circumstances. These are not words that we use. So humble circumstances refers to a person who is poor financially, but also has a low social standing. So it isn't that you don't have money. It's that you're not known in society. So you don't have any social standing either. Then he specifically tells us what that person is going to do. So let's just say if you're poor and you don't have social status, here's what I want you to do. Glory in your high position. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Can you imagine like people in the first century getting this letter? Because people would read this letter. They'd gather, everybody gather around. Let's just say it's a group of people who are in that, that poor part of society. They gather around and they're reading James' words. Oh, James has some wisdom for us in the trial that we're facing. It says, for those that are in humble circumstances, that's us, glory in your high position. That means to rejoice that we have a high position. What high position is this man talking about? We have nothing to speak of. And and it reminded me of Luke chapter six and verse 20. You might remember Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says this, he turned his gaze, gaze towards them and he began to say, blessed are those who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God." Here's what James is talking about. Jesus certainly is talking about. He's speaking to a difference between a worldly reality and a spiritual reality, that we have labels in society, we have labels in this world. And James is saying, no matter what your label is in this world, it is not that way in heaven. If you're in Christ, this is not who you are, and it is not what you are. And this is an important truth. For those that might find themselves in the camp that James is referring to. So a person may have nothing and no recognition, but if they have Christ, they have everything. And the Bible says that they are children of the living God. You know, the scriptures teach these paradoxes all over the place. I just want to name a few. The Bible says that the weak are strong, the empty are full, the slaves are free, the cursed are blessed, the last shall be, are you getting it? Come on, the last shall be first and the least shall be the greatest. What is he talking about? He's saying that your worldly title doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You might feel it, it might be a reality to you, but there is something that is greater. Jesus said it, James said it, the Bible speaks about it all over the place. But here's what we know. If you're poor, you're still gonna have tests. You're still gonna have tests of your faith. Just because you have less money doesn't mean you won't have any of those. And so here are some of the things that I was thinking about, and what would be a test for a person that has less? Number one, it's an identity test. And here's some statements. I just kind of wrote these out myself. I thought, here's what a person could easily say. I will never be more than poor. This is just what I am. This is just how I'm seen. This is just how people see me. But here's the truth. Let's go ahead and flip the script. I am a child of God. I am worth the blood of Jesus. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm gifted and anointed to bring life-changing news to all who will listen in Jesus' mighty name. That's the truth. Your identity has changed in Christ. Who cares what the world says? But there's also gonna be a source test. You could say, I won't have enough to make it. I don't have enough and I'll never have enough. But here's the truth. According to scripture, if you're in Christ, God is my provider. He's my source. He's my supply. He will care for me and all that life will bring. And I will always have enough because God is with me. That's the truth. That's the truth. So there's a test. You're going to let the worldly label tell you what you have, or are you going to let the truth of Scripture tell you what is true? Well, there's another test. What about ability? Because I don't have much and people look down on me, I can't do anything for others. Oh, friends, come on. That's not the truth. I can do what God calls. I'm going to get excited today. Are you ready for that? You better wake up, friends. Don't you be falling asleep on me. I can do what God calls me to do. He will give me the words, the favor, the gifts, the opportunities, the finances for whatever he says. This is God. We can't say, I can't do anything for others. If God says, I'll give it to you, I'll give you everything that you need, just go and obey. And like I said earlier, perhaps that calling is like a seed that's planted down inside of us. And until we say yes, it doesn't get activated. That's the truth. It isn't what we have, it's who we have. And the fourth is increase. So this is a reversal situation. A person that was once poor can find themselves wealthy. And then we automatically think, well, if, if now, because I know what it's like down there and now I'm up here, I'm gonna help all these people because that's the idea, right? The idea is, is the person in low circumstances, whenever they get to the top, then they know what it's like. And so then they're going to go back and minister to the people that are where they weren't once were. But that's not always the case, is it? And so here's the statement that could, that could come to a person like that. You know, I worked really hard to get where I'm at. I worked really hard to get what I, to get what I have. When the poor become rich, It's not really common in the first century, but it did happen to one of Jesus' disciples. You remember a guy named Matthew? I mean, he was probably just a lowly Jewish boy in a regular family, but he had to betray his family to become a tax collector, and he became a chief tax collector. He turned his back on all of his people. That's what it cost him to become rich and he was rich. And isn't it amazing that when Jesus walked by his tax-collecting booth, and he looked at him, and he said, come follow me, he did not hesitate. Why? Because he found out that riches are nothing. And when Jesus walked by, that's what he really wanted. And he spoke to something in his heart that God himself put there. But when poor become rich, they don't automatically become generous. Did you know that over 50% of people that win lotteries lose everything and go bankrupt within three to five years. I mean, this is written on extensively, not my opinion. You can actually go online and read stories, like detailed stories about people that won 10 million, even hundred million dollars started giving that money out. Some, I mean, just terrible situations is what we read about. So a person that has this great reversal, we think, oh, that person's gonna give back. They don't always give back, friends. That's not what happens. But there is a seduction in our world for us to always have more. Everybody say the word more. That that word encapsulates what I feel like our culture is speaking to us all the time. You need more because you don't have enough. You need more. You can't help people until you have more. You can't be secure until you have more. You need more. That's what you need. Hey, what do I need? More. That's the cultural word today, isn't it? It's more, 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 more. You never feel like you have enough. So it's almost like this thing, like you, friends, sitting here today, we might be really wealthy, and yet the culture is telling us that we're not. I'm not gonna preach to you too harshly today, but if you have a car, you're better off than most of the world. How about a mattress? Okay, Ben, don't do it to me today. Don't come in. That's not right, Ben, It's not right. Didn't even have all my coffee yet. Didn't even do it. When I was 18 years old, I got, you know, this seduction. I was uh, working at Washington Mutual, now Chase, excuse me. I was working at Washington Mutual and uh, there was a guy that I met there and he started talking to all of us about how if we invested into this company that was about to go public, it was gonna go public on the stock market, but it's not there yet. and, And this company is just allowing Christians. Oh yeah, they had to throw the Christ card in there, you know. Uh, just allowing Christians to get in, get in on it. And I was literally told that if I invested, and all I had at the time was a thousand bucks to my name, if I invested that money, it would be a hundredfold. I'd get a hundred thousand dollars at least. You're laughing at me already because you know exactly what happened. Mr. Ben Dixon didn't get one dollar back. Now, I hope somebody went to jail. Everybody say justice, all right. (laughs) And may justice be for you as well, not just me, but... but, uh, I was seduced into this idea that if I give you my money, this pre-public going to the stock market, I mean, just just, some of you, I don't even want an amen, but I know you've been seduced by these ideas. Somebody came to you at some point in your life. I cannot tell you, now this might ruffle a feather or two, but I cannot tell you how many people have sat down with me and pitched an entrepreneurial opportunity. Come on now, (laughs) I'm all for free enterprise, amen, small businesses, do it, amen, go for it, I'm all for investing, do it, go for it, be led by the Lord, but just don't drag everybody else into it with you and kill all your relationships while you do it, amen, I'm just trying to say that uh, it's not worth ruining your relationship, so I'm just, I'm digressing, get back to the word, the, all right, the word, but so many people, I've had people just like sit down with me and literally like try to speak for me. Like Pastor Ben, I don't want you to get too excited right now. I don't want you to go tell the whole church, right? We got to kind of tone it down. And I'm sitting there like, "I couldn't be thinking anything further from what you're talking about." You're like trying to sell me a $5,000 vacuum. I'm telling you, I ain't buying. Like I'm stone cold, baby. I'm one of those, all right? You just it's it's amazing, right? I learned from, from my family, and I'm the guy that goes, if you're a car salesman, I'm the one that goes to the car salesman, and he's like, we go back and forth multiple times, and finally says, well, how much do you want to pay? And I'm like, I would like to drive this car off the lot and have not paid anything. That's what I would like if you really want to know, Frank. <laughs> and I know it's not fair. We have car salesmen in here, and I apologize to you, but that's just, I'm trying to tell you, I'm, God's working on me, so but I've also been taken, and that's my fault. I don't blame anybody else for that. That's my fault, but why? Why do we allow ourselves to get into these situations where we know that we shouldn't do this? Because there is a seduction in the world that is telling us that we need more, and I wanna tell you something. This is a test for people that have less, 100%. Another test for people that have less is they always look down on people that have more and blame them. Not everybody does this, but it it does happen. So I don't have to be responsible for how I spend my money because I don't have much. But those rich people, they're really the problem. And friends, that is an excuse. I've had 200 plus interns and I watch them go to Starbucks darn near every day. And they talked about how other people need to give to the church and other people need to give to society and other people need to do all this. And I'm like, proportionality wise, you guys waste more money than some people I know that have far more than you'll ever dream of. So don't you be talking. All right, let's go. Let's let's back up. Come on. (laughs) I'm kind of playing dad for a moment. You're like, I don't need that, Ben, but you can talk to my children if you want to. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Glad to be in church today. I knew this was the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad. Don't look at your kids now. Don't. Just text them and say, you got to listen. All right. So look what the writer of Proverbs says. This isn't David. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 8. He said, keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now there's Jesus says that later. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I'll forget God. Or I may, look at this, become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The writer of Proverbs, just wanna focus on the poor part. He's saying that someone who finds himself in lowly circumstances, their test is gonna be that if they feel that they don't have enough, if they don't have enough, then they're going to take matters into their own hands. Stealing, that's what it is. I'm gonna take matters into my, I'm gonna take from others instead of find the right and righteous way. I will take matters into my own hands. So James is telling us that poverty is not just a reality, it is a mentality. And he says, don't worry if you don't have a lot, be proud of who you are in Jesus. That's what it means to glory in your high position. What I have in him is greater than anything I could have in this world. That's the mentality that James is encouraging us to have today if we find ourselves there. But that's not the only test. There's also the test of prosperity. And he really goes after the rich here. The poor get one little verse. The rich get the rest. And here's what he says. Verse 10. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And that is a poetic way of saying he will die. I'm a straight shooter. I'm sorry. I just got to... James, what do you mean, die? Die? The rich should rejoice in being brought low. In other words, in Christ, we are all equal. So if people have social standing because of their financial position, because they're known by others, if their label is something special in this world or they have notoriety, James says, glory in your humiliation. Humble yourself in this life because you're equal with everyone else. That's his advice, that's the wisdom. Because when we get to heaven, we're all in the same place. Sons and daughters of God. So he's like, get used to it now. Don't let your riches tell you that you're something that in heaven you're actually not. This life is so short and then we're there. He's preparing us, isn't that right? He's preparing us for what is actually true and what is really coming. So he goes on to describe the outcome of riches and the pursuit of riches. He says, it will all fade away. Worldly wealth and status give us nothing before God. Friends, listen, there's no VIP, there's no special seats, there's no early entry, and for you Disney lovers, there's no lightning pass in heaven. You're not getting in in a better situation, you're not getting there quicker. Humble yourself. Our wealth and status, listen, cannot save us but this is also true. It will not satisfy us. It will not. It cannot. We were made for something more than this. I believe that those who are rich have more temptations than those who are poor. They do. They have far more. Here's here's some that I'm thinking of. Again, number one is identity. Now, the rich might be thinking because of their status and labels, man, I'm really something. I'm really something special because all these people think so, or I've got a lot of people on social media, or I've got a lot of money in the bank, but here's here's the trap. You can forget that how we live in this life determines our standing in the next life. That's what the Bible teaches, that there actually are rewards in the next life. Multiple scriptures, at least six or seven of them. The wealthy must not believe their own PR thinking that this is gonna be the same there because it's not. Our identity has to be rooted in Christ. If it is here, it will be there, and we will have no transitions that we will need to make when we get to heaven. The second is a source issue. Here's a thought. When you're rich, you could say, I don't need anything from anyone. When you're poor, you have to trust God. You depend on God. You need God. I need my daily bread. Amen. Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. When's the last time some of you prayed for daily bread? You prayed for better bread. You didn't pray for daily bread. You didn't pray bread would show up. You just prayed, you know, I'd like a little sweet bread once in a while, amen? Why can't I get a Cinnabon? I don't know. But I would say the majority of people living in America are the rich, 100%. Now, you may not think of yourself that way, but friends, it's true. Come on, you you, you gotta own it. You can't see yourself in the picture here unless you know who you are. I would say that we primarily are rich rich. That doesn't mean we're the richest, but because there is a middle class in in our world today, it does put us into a category that we would... Can I tell you this? Solomon, the Bible says Solomon was the richest man in his generation, one of the richest, right? The wisest, but he had gold and silver. The Bible says that silver was common. It was almost like worthless. Like, hey, let's just make a house out of silver. Sure, we got extra. I mean, I bet his daughters got like a dollhouse made out of silver and gold. I mean, that's what it was. (laughs) Don't get any ideas here, you know? (laughs) But I'm just like, that's how common, that's how rich he was. This stuff was common. In all of his splendor, Solomon couldn't even imagine a world where he could drive down the road and just get this, his appetite just hit him. Like, you know what? I want Thai food right now. And just pull over and get it in 30 minutes. I don't think there is any concept by which he could, I mean, food took hours to make, hours to make. We can get food right now, any kind of food. I mean, if that isn't rich, I mean, I took a shower this morning, some of you did, some of you didn't, no judging, all right, but you turn on, I mean, oh man, it's not hot yet. It's not, I mean, gosh. I'm like two minutes in, I'm like, can you believe that it's not warm yet? I mean, we we just take this stuff for granted. How long do you think it took Solomon to have a hot bath? How many people did he have to employ just so he could have warm baths? I mean, we don't even think like this, but that, friends, rich has to be defined in, in a way where we see what we really have, okay? We see what we really, we look at him, he's like, he has silver and gold, but we got hot water, We got Chick-fil-A. Amen. We (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, Starbucks sometimes apologizes to me when they don't get the coffee that quick. And I'm like, hey, no worries. That was actually really fast. Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't paying attention right now. I mean, they're like, I'm sorry. It was like three minutes. The pressure that they're under. Come on, pray for your baristas and baristos. But when you're poor, you have to depend on God. And when you're rich, you don't feel your need. Think about how prayer can be so difficult for the rich. That's why it takes a difficult situation sometimes to really start praying and calling on God. Now, I don't want to put you in a guilt position, but if the shoe fits, just think about it with me. Sometimes we don't pray until we feel our need. This is why we spiritually have to know our position before God. And when our mind is renewed to know who He is, who we are, and where we really are, prayer is easy. Because we depend on God no matter what our bank account says or what other people say about us. We have a dependence on God that's rooted in Scripture and truth, not in the world that we live in and any labels that we might have. What about an ability issue? So this is where a rich person, you would think, has the ability to help more people and do more. But they might say, well, I want to be careful about what I do for others. You know, I don't want to enable anybody. I, the rich are not always generous and obedient and kingdom stewards. They get seduced into storing up. The scarcity mentality, isn't that a crazy thing? You can have so much, just especially if you're older here, okay, like over 20. <laughs> When I came to Jesus, I was 19. The altar call, come and give all to Jesus. I mean, I literally had probably what was in my pockets. It was easy to give all to Jesus. I didn't have much. Did you guys have much? And you, you dreamed of a house and car and now you're living in far more than you ever dreamed of. Come on, some of you realize that today. I have more in this world than I ever thought I would have. And yet the world is still beckoning me into more. Can you believe it? When I was a young man, I gave everything to Jesus. I had nothing to give. It was easy. Here, you just have my life. Now, if God calls you and you have more, you're like, well, what about the house, Lord? And what about, you know, my kids are going to feel? And what about the chickens that I got? And Lord, what about, I mean, is there a Starbucks on the corner where you're sending me? I mean, I'm not sure that you got the right person. No, maybe he's got the right person who forgot where they came from. Maybe he's got the right person, but sometimes we, in our accumulation, it makes it so much more difficult for us to say yes when that's really what our heart is saying. We want to say yes in obedience to Jesus. This is why it's hard for the rich. That's a test, isn't it? You say, God, use me however I want. I mean, it's a nice thing to say in worship. Lord, I love you so much. I love you with all of my heart. But man, we got to answer for that. We have to answer for that. Do I love the Lord? Do I love him like I used to when I had nothing? Is everything I have really his? Wow, that's the test, isn't it? If you feel it, you should. What about losses? This is a great reversal where someone who has a lot loses it all of a sudden. This did happen in James Day quite a bit. They could say, where is God and why is he not blessing me? I mean, I have enough food. I've got a place to live, but I used to have so much more. The blessing of God was with me. And in their culture, if you had more, you were blessed by God. So when the great reversal happened and a rich person became poor, they started to blame God. You'd get confused. You'd walk away because their identity is wrapped in what they have and not who they have. God, why are you not blessing me? See, blessing is now defined by material possessions and money. And that's the wake-up call, isn't it? See, it's easy to praise and bless God when you have a lot and all is well, but what are we like when we lose it all? What are we like when we lose it all? My parents, I love them and they're, you know, in their 70s, which is young. Come on, somebody say it. And so occasionally we'll have one of those morbid conversations, you know, like I'm like the executor of their estate. And so uh We'll have the, I hate those conversations. Like, let's not talk about this right now. Here, have another coffee. You know, say, <laughs> have another coffee. It's fun. Chill out. Um, but they'll say things like this to me. They'll be like, hey, you know, here's what we have, and here's the paperwork, and here's, you know, get everything, all that, and it's good. And we've got estate lawyers in the uh, church who are probably saying amen to that because they know it doesn't happen sometimes but they'll say, well, hey, I don't know if anything will be left because I might just get sick and have cancer and just die and all the money's gone, everything's gone. I'm like, can we just not go there? But you know what's interesting is like, that's true. I actually now appreciate that. Like who cares about the stuff when we don't have the people, right? So I, as morbid as it might sound to say it, I'm actually glad they do because it's reality. It's about what's most important. It reminds me, this whole moving from rich to poor, and our attitude when that happens or if that happens, it reminds me of the story of Job. Now, you haven't brushed up on Job for a while, but let me remind you that Satan challenged God on this very thing concerning Job. I'm just going to read it to you what happens. Listen to this, Job 1 and verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Now, first of all, I don't like the fact that God's talking to Satan. All right. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? One of my secret prayers is that my name's never there. Like, have you considered Ben? <laughs> what about Judah, my son? You know, uh, but have you considered my servant? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's this? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on the earth like him. This is the Lord. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God shuns evil. Look what Satan says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you not blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And look what the Lord says, very well, everything he has is now in your power, but on the man himself, don't lay a finger. God allowed Satan to take everything from Job and Satan took everything from Job. And Job's perspective later on was, you know, he gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So we go through, I I don't have time to get into that, but here's what Satan's theory was. He says, the only reason Job loves and serves you is because you've blessed him because of what he has. The only reason that Job is this way and your narrative of him is such is because he has all this stuff. Take it away and see what kind of man he is. See, don't you love James? James is preparing people like us that if we have everything taken away, that we will still be able to respond. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what James is preparing them and us four. I've seen plenty of people question God walk away when they get reduced in life and test, and you have as well. We've all had these temptations. Maybe the question is, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? And we need to remember, friends, James is saying everything fades away. Everything is gone at the end. What we have is in Jesus Christ. This is a principle If you go through that situation where you had more, let's say you lost a job, you lost a business, you used to have more, okay, I'm not trying to criticize how you felt through that, all right? I just wanna give some wisdom that comes to my mind when I think about transitioning from one place to another. That can be hard, but let me tell you something about questioning God. I wanna encourage you, never give up what you know for what you don't understand. God, I don't understand why this business didn't work out. I don't understand why I lost this job. I don't understand why these relationships are moving this way. I don't understand why I can't seem to do some of the things that I used to do. I don't understand why I'm in this position of life. At this age, I thought I'd be different. I thought it'd be different. And it's not, I don't understand. But here's what you've got to remember. I will not give up what I know for what I don't understand. I know that God is good. I know that God loves me. I know that his mercies are new every single morning. I know that his presence is with me right now. I know that I have a church family that loves me and prays for me. I know that he will provide for me. I know that God has good intentions towards me. I know that I know that I know, and I'm not going to give up what I know for what I don't understand. And you shouldn't either. Amen. But this can happen when we're tempted. This can happen. Well, what's the reward of perseverance? Ben, come on, the tests are the tests. What, what about that? Well, here's what James says in verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In our perseverance, I think there's a couple rewards I'm just gonna highlight two. One, I'm just gonna throw at you. The other one, I'll, I'll take a moment on. But the first is the reward of real contentment. This is what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter four. He says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content. That means I'm satisfied with where I'm at and with what I have. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me Strength. Now, we love Philippians 4.13. We quote that, but it is in the context of being content. And doesn't it often get quoted in the context of getting more? (laughs) Now you got to go change some of those devotionals. I know it. I know you do. The secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If I have to bear it, I can bear it. If I have to live in just minimal provision, I can live in minimal provision. If I don't get the job I want, if I don't get the things that I prayed for, if my life doesn't work out the way I envision, blessed be the name of the Lord, I have enough because I have him. That's what James says, that's what Jesus says, that's what the Bible says, and that's why, I will throw this at you, the health wealth gospel is dangerous. I know I keep going after that, but friends, this idea of Christianity today that if you give your life to Christ, you're gonna have everything you ever prayed for, everything you ever dreamed of, and it's all up and to the right from here. It is from an eternal perspective, but you can't preach that all over the world. Come on, friends, you can't preach that, that's not the gospel. You can't preach that over the, you preach Christ. He is enough. He is always enough. And if he's not enough, nothing in this life will be enough. There's no amount of money, there's no material possession. There's no amount of social status or relationships. There is literally nothing in this life that you can have that will satisfy that longing. And if you know Christ, you know that. So we are constantly brought back to the reality of true contentment is only found in him. And the second, of course, he, James speaks of the crown of life. This is the reward of eternal life. You remember the rich young ruler? How can you not think of him in this, uh, in this passage? The rich young ruler asked Jesus about his standing before God. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he stood up and said, well, I've been doing that since I was a boy. Pretty good guy he is. Felt all good about it. And then Jesus, this is what happens. Mark 10, 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have, look at this, treasure in heaven. We're talking about eternal rewards. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Man, the first thing I love about this is it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus didn't look down on him. He didn't make him feel bad because he had more. It wasn't about how much he had. It wasn't about his money. It wasn't about his property. It was about his heart. Jesus looked at him and says he loved him, but he looks at him and he says, friend, there's one thing you lack. I bet you that guy was like, oh, only one thing, not a problem. I'll, kn- I'll knock that out today. <laughs> only one, man, that's great. But it was the hardest thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to those that don't have. This sort of essential equality I want you to equal yourself out because these possessions have your heart. And if you want to follow me, you're going to be dragging around this anchor with you everywhere we go and everything that we do. Every time I call you to do something, you're going to negotiate. So I just want you to give it up all in advance. Is he saying we need to give it all up in advance right now? All, all, all that our heart is attached to for sure. It's not about wealth. It's about the heart. The one thing he lacked actually was a surrendered heart. Jesus didn't want him to be poor. He didn't want him to be rich. He wanted, him to be, he wanted him to be surrendered. The kingdom of God perspective is always this. If we cannot let go of what we have, we will never lay hold of what we actually need. And so we have to let go. The rich young ruler believed that what he had was somehow better than what Jesus is and what Jesus gives. Can you imagine that? Sometimes when we think about wealth or we think about material possessions or what we have in this world, we actually are saying with our words and our actions, or maybe just our actions, that what this world has to offer us is actually better than what Jesus is and what Jesus gives. And what I love about Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is he will challenge your heart. If you just want the buddy Jesus, you want the nice Jesus that never challenges you, if you wanna go a life without conviction, good luck with that. You live in a world that is corrupt, that is chasing your heart, trying to pull it down, wrestle it to the ground, and pin it into the things of this world. But we need to set our mind on things above, not on things below. And thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit is relentless to ensure that our heart is surrendered to King Jesus, because that's where it belongs. That's where it belongs. So whether we're rich or we're poor, may our heart truly be His. Amen. Amen. I think James is just screaming that at us. And you know, he's not done, guys. The next couple of weeks. Woo! Let's pray. Would you go ahead and stand? Wealth cannot save us. Only Jesus can do that. And wealth cannot satisfy us, only Jesus can do that. Would you pray with me today that the true longing of our heart would be the focus of our heart? Would you pray that today? Lord, don't just satisfy me, but ensure that my heart is focused on what real satisfaction is and where it comes from. Father, we pray today in the name of Jesus that you would look into our heart and investigate God, I pray that if there is anything in us that's deviated or deviating from actually walking through the tests of poverty or prosperity and landing in a place where you're first and foremost, Father, I pray that you would excavate our heart. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would convince us that you're better and you always will be. That you would ensure that longing remains, that it abides every day of our life, Not just in 21 days of prayer and fasting, but we would have a fresh sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Lead us, Lord, into all truth. Guide us into all truth. And help us to follow Jesus the way that he deserves. That can only be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you bless our church. Father, I pray you'd lead us today in the days to come. And I pray, Father, that you would give us grace as we endure temptations, trials, and difficulties, and whatever that might mean for each of us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen Amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries and the Online Immersion Discipleship School.